The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah 1-3 Hi, this is Pastor Jason from Christian Life Church in Waverly, New York. Welcome to Master's Crib, a weekly podcast where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical teaching of authority. This program is designed to go alongside a personal Bible study aimed towards spiritual growth, biblical understanding, and a Christian worldview. Thanks for tuning in. So tonight on episode 27, we have our first live Master's Crib, which is really cool. We're going to talk about authority and rebellion with Pastor Mark Cox of Calvary Baptist Church. So Pastor Mark, welcome to Master's Crib. Thank you. So when did you start in pastoral ministry? I started in pastoral ministry. That's a trick question. Um, I started in pastor-ish like ministry back when I was in college, and I led a small group of college students and kind of was an acting acting assistant pastor, even without the title. Um, but we ended up leading most of the uh, ongoing church ministry uh, we were at there um, in a small church in North Carolina. Uh, did pastoral internship back in my home church in Michigan eventually, and then five years ago moved out here to Athens, Pennsylvania, and have um, been pastoring Calvary Baptist for the last five years. Michigan to Athens. Yeah. <laughs> that is so crazy. So how in the world did you even find out about Calvary? Um, to be truthful, the, the internet. Okay. They were just um, looking for a guy? They, they were looking for a guy. And um, I was, you know, kind of finishing some Bible college education. I had been interning uh, at my home church, and I really wanted to get married. Uh, you put all those things together, and they were looking for a guy, and I, I was looking for a place. And uh, so we started a conversation, and uh, the Lord really bonded our hearts together. It's been good. So how long did you candidate for before it was definitely a yes from everybody? Oh, my. I, the conversation probably started three to six months before it was, you know, we're all kind of signing in blood, yeah, if I you gotcha. will. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So what's the mission of the ministry at Calvary Baptist? So Calvary Baptist Church uh, is a multi-generational church family uh, seeking to glorify God through worshiping corporately, growing personally, and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, so that's, that's our mission statement, and it really holds true. I, I try to measure a lot of things that we do through that, filter through that. How is this helping us worship? How is this helping us grow? How is this helping us make disciples? And obviously mm-hmm. all tying together with we, we're here to glorify God. I'm so glad you said that. I don't know if I told you this, but I had a conversation with a pastor. It was actually with a board. I was on an elder board. And um, I said, what is our mission statement here? Isn't there a bulletin around somewhere? They got it. And we started questioning, how does this ministry tie back to our mission statement? And no one had any yeah. idea like yeah. how vital this actually is. So, hey, you know it and you actually weigh yourself by it. So that's good. So, so the end of the day, you have a lot on your plate. You have a family. You have a ministry. What are you hoping was accomplished in that day? In what day? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? You lay your head down at night in any given day. What are you, what's your prayer that was accomplished? Yeah, I think that uh, we could get specific and go, you know, uh, what was your specific task and that kind of stuff. But, I mean... My my vision for my impact on the lives of people that I minister to is that I want them to see God in his reality um, 
and that that vision of who God is causes them to see him as infinitely more desirable than anything else, mm. um, and that drives their heart to worship. Because if you mm. believe that God is more desirable than anything else in life, you will be worshiping him. That Amen. is the act of worship. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, that's quite the standard to hold yourself to also. Yeah, it's really discouraging sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, let's take a couple minutes and, uh, and tear into God's word. We're going to be reading from Daniel 4, just three verses here. I'll read those. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heavens and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So that is Daniel 4, verses 34 through 37. So for just a couple seconds, what is the origin of authority God. That was a really easy Sunday school answer. I like those. That won't work. <laughs> we don't play that game here. Oh, no. Okay. But really, it, it is God. Uh, obviously, he's creator. Um, so, you know, we can talk about authority in a lot of different contexts. Here we're talking about it in like a civil government context, right, with mm -hmm. Nebuchadnezzar being king. Mm -hmm. um, so his, the origin of his authority is still God. So any civil government authority is based in God. We could see that most clearly back in Genesis with the Noahic covenant um, where God steps in and he gives mankind these rules to mm. govern themselves by. We point to that a lot of times as the origin of civil government. Um, we could point to authority in the home mm -hmm. uh, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, mm -hmm. right? Even the New Testament, when it talks about authority structure in the home, it points back to Eden as the origins of that. Um, and certainly in the church, right? Well, yeah. it's, it's Christ's church. Mm. This is God's church. He's the authority. Um, so, you know, if uh, we're looking for a church, we want to look for one that seeks to obey the Bible, mm. submits to submit everything to the Bible. And if there's something that they, they do, that they look at the Bible and go, hey, we're not, this doesn't match up. Mm. And they, they will immediately abandon whatever that is and they mm. submit themselves to the word because they submit themselves to God. Absolutely. So, we kind of hopped in at the end of the story here, and the Nebuchadnezzar we see here we all like. We did, yeah. So what did Nebuchadnezzar look like before this, though? Yeah, so he was, he was kind of an arrogant leader, right? And um, not, not incredibly unlike, if you looked at our world system today, you could probably point out some leaders that are very Nebuchadnezzar-like. Absolutely. Uh, very self-exalting. Um, very much looking at the, the, the nations or the kingdoms that they have built, mm. um, thinking of themselves as really the savior mm. of, of whatever state um, is out there. Um, so very arrogant. Um, he, he thought of himself that way. Uh, he sought other people to, to see himself that way, mm. um, even to the point of erecting statues, 
um, even commanding things like worship, where mm. maybe in our day we, we might not see um, leaders so overtly asking people to worship them, but right. we can understand, un, you know, kind of between the lines of what some leaders say sometimes, that like, you're asking for blind allegiance without ever questioning this sounds like worship, right? Exactly, right. Exactly. So, I mean, if you, if you kind of read in our cultural, you know, you can look at different leaders around the world and see a lot of the same attitudes mm. um, that we see portrayed with Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. So, obviously, he has an, a problem with authority. He also has a problem with knowing the limits of his authority at one point. But now, we see he kind of uh, he kind of knows his limits. What are the limits of Nebuchadnezzar's authority? The limits are whatever God places on it, mm. right? So, I mean, God, whatever kingdom he have, whatever wealth he have, whatever um, authority, uh, we might even say power uh, he had, um, it was all limited by God. Mm. And God was, was dictating unilaterally whatever those limits were. And when he rose in his pride so high that, that he just refused to see that, God said, okay, well... Mm. Let me, let me put you in a smaller box. <laughs> you're you're going to be the equivalent of an ox out in the field for a yeah. few years. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're going to realize that I set the limits, not you. Mm. I am God, not you. You mm. only have authority because I have granted you uh, authority. And that's interesting because particularly in today's culture, we seem to see the governing authority like our Nebuchadnezzar to have like a limitless authority. And um, we really kind of misplace, you know, our, the value of authority. So what actually is, and I know this is going to be like another Sunday school question, but what is the limit of God's authority? Does God have something to say about how someone like Nebuchadnezzar rules his kingdom? Obviously. <laughs> if, if he's going to take the authority and like box him into being an ox in the field, yeah. being him... You know, making making the king of the nation who is exalting himself above everyone else in the nation, and what God effectively does is make him makes him the lowest of anyone in the nation, mm. right? So, so that that um, peasant that was never on Nebuchadnezzar's team, mm. and that Nebuchadnezzar would maybe even criticize and exalt himself so much higher than it could, it's unthinkable for him to even be on the equal playing ground with that peasant. Mm. Well, now for a few years he's even lower. Mm-hmm. And that peasant, he's the equivalent of that peasant's livelihood animal, the ox. Wow. You know, um, that's just an extreme example. So God does care about how authority is utilized, right? Um, we can all think of people with power. Some use it well. Mm. Some don't use it well. Absolutely. Um, so certainly, God cares about that. Mm. So it's really interesting because after all that he's been through, I mean, now he's had experience with the living God, and uh, now he even um, gives praise to him and says that he will continue to do so. He gives us a warning. So I guess two questions. First, uh, this warning is specific, obviously, to a specific time, Mm -hmm. but also does that carry over into today, and what are the real implications of that warning? So I'm assuming that when you say uh, when you're referring to the warning you're, warning, you're referring to the first couple of verses here yeah. uh, that we looked at, verses 34 and 35, talking about God's kingdom enduring forever. So there's never a time 
when his control is not absolute, mm. right? Um, over all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. Uh, so there is no one who is able to in any way rival his authority, mm. right? Um, he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. God's the only one that literally does whatever he wants, mm. right? We, we say that, but none of us literally do whatever we want. We don't right. jump off the Grand Canyon and fly. You know, I'd love to do that, but I don't because I have limitations. God literally does whatever he wants. He's only bound by his own desires. Mm. Um, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? There's no one that judges what he's done, right? If I go out and, and I slap somebody across the face in public, not only will there be people judging me and saying, was that right? Should you have done that? There should be people absolutely. asking those questions, right? Because my authority is not absolute. I don't have this kind of absolute authority mm. uh, over all things. God does by nature of him being the creator, by nature of him being the sustainer of all life, by, by nature of him being God. Mm. Anything less, and he's not God. Mm. I, I'm tracking with you 100%. Just thinking about the culture that we live in, uh, for someone to go up to someone today, obviously, you know, with postmodernism, today we go a lot by how we feel about things, right? So there's mm-hmm. a lot of subjectivity. So um, right in line with that, though I'm in completely agreement with you, you know, God can do whatever he wants. Do you think that it's because uh, the, the teaching of God's authority has been removed from our current culture that people feel as though they can act as God? Yes and no. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, we're both pastors here. Um, and so we, we make it a habit of teaching the Bible mm-hmm. um, as, as much as we possibly can in personal conversation mm-hmm. um, when we're preaching to our churches, respectively, um, even in podcasts. Mm-hmm. Right? We're talking about the Bible. We want to yeah. teach the Bible. However, um, prophets throughout the Old Testament proclaim the word of God. And we all know that there were times where the prophets felt very alone and that the teaching fell on deaf ears over and over again. Mm. Um, So teaching, yes, but ultimately mere teaching will never change the heart of man, Mm. right? Um, God's got to do the work internally Mm. uh, that we can't do in people's hearts and lives and um, that sometimes can be very uh, discouraging because we might put all this effort into teaching and it's like water, water off a duck's back. Okay? And right. It's like, what? what uh, I don't feel like you were listening, you, you know. Um, but at the other hand, it's, it's very, it's relieving the pressure and saying, you know what, my job is to proclaim the word mm-hmm. and to teach the word. And it's God's got job to work in the heart. Absolutely. And, and so when, when we say the problems that we see in our culture today, is it a result of the word of God and the teaching of the word of God being removed from the public square? I mean, I'm never going to sit here and say that it's a bad thing to have the word of God in the public square. Right. I'm a pastor. I publicly proclaim the word. That's, that's what I do. Right. Right. Um, the problem, though, is not what is or is not in the public square. The problem is the heart of man. Mm. We could have all the word of God we want in the public square without any heart change and it does absolutely no good, yeah. right? Um, we, we see that most clearly probably um, in the pharisaical systems 
in Israel in the day of, days of Christ. Yeah, you know, yeah. go read the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he just attacks, really, the people who were teaching the word of God in the public square mm. over and over and over because there was no heart change. Mm. And that's really what we want to be after is, is the work of God in the heart changing and transforming lives. Mm. That's awesome. So when we look at the Old Testament, I, I mean, I know, I know many pastors that they, they won't touch it much. You know, they'll go in the Psalms. You know, they might stick into a passage here and there, you know, from Genesis. It seems as though many people now reject the idea that the Old Testament has anything to say to us because we're the New Testament church. So the question is, we see here that God not only has the authority to reach in and to grab a hold of this prideful king, is this something that is beyond God's scope of practice today? Is this something that we could expect in one of these nations where a man has risen up as a tyrant and is, is causing all of these, uh, this, this chaos and ca- causing all these murders? Is it something that we should expect that God might possibly still do? Absolutely. And I would give you a perfect example, you and me. If we're, if we're a child of God in the New Testament church, we're Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. We're the rebel against God. We're the ones trying to run around in our own little worlds, trying to build our own little kingdoms and trying to get everyone else around us to worship us. Right? That's, that's what we do. That's what mankind does. Nebuchadnezzar's not unique. He's just a very rich and powerful example of what all of us do in our humanity and in our flesh. And the very first thing that God does with any of us is he humbles us. Mm. And he shows us who he is and who we are, and the vast eternal gap in between. Mm. And until you've been humbled like Nebuchadnezzar is humbled, you will not see the kingdom of God. Mm. Right? Yeah. And, and we, it's only then that we realize who he is that our hearts cry out for mercy mm. and for his grace because we need that, mm. right? We're guilty of sin. We're guilty of the rebellion. He has every right to not only humble us to be a, like a cow in the field, mm. but to kill us and separate us from him for all of eternity, mm. right? And it's only by his grace and mercy that, that he doesn't do that. Mm. But he actually takes our rebellious hearts and he supernaturally changes that heart Absolutely. into a worshiper of him. And so instead of... This is the big change with Nebuchadnezzar. He was proclaiming his own kingdom, glorifying himself. God humbles him. God works in his heart. And he comes out the other end proclaiming God's kingdom mm. and proclaiming God's glory. Mm. That's, that's, con- that's what we would think of in a New Testament sense, yeah. right, as conversion, mm. right? And um, that's, that's the story of every believer. Mm. So if that would happen to a very powerful national leader, it'd be the same thing, right? The exact same thing. Yeah. We seem to, our desire every time we read, be it the Old Testament or the New Testament, we don't want to identify with Nebuchadnezzar. We want to identify with Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are my guys. You know, we get into David and Goliath, we're like, David, that's my man. Well, it's not, right? Right. we're, We're Gentiles, the giants us you know like we always forget about that though we seem to want to see ourselves as the hero of the story all the time and not identify with what we truly are right and and we got to remember that the bible is a book about god Mm. 
the Bible is a book about Jesus. Mm. Even the Old Testament, right? Like, if we started in Matthew and we saw Jesus being born and this genealogy that no one really cares about because there's these names that we know nothing about and then we get to Jesus and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. All we do is sit and scratch our heads. The, the kingdom of what? What is, what is that? What, what does that mean? Right? You've got to know the Old Testament. You've got to yeah. know who this God is. You've got to know the, the kingdom's promises that he has been planting seeds of all through the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, when Jesus comes and says, the kingdom's here. Yeah. That's, that's like, that's everything. That's what we've been waiting for. This is, this is, this is he's claiming something huge here, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, you've got to have the Old Testament. Hmm. So looking at uh, culture's idea, just looking at, at the entire scripture, there is a problem with, with how we view the Bible, and it's even in the church. We have this division that we've made, and I know that you're familiar with this, as probably most people who are listening are also. We have this division that we've made between two gods. We have New Testament God who loves us because of Jesus, and Old Testament God because, uh, you know, he hates us because of sin. Hmm. So how is it that today, in 2020, having an honest view of the authority of Jesus Christ, we can reconcile these two misconceptions? Um, I'm going I'm to point to Jesus. Um, because, you know, he certainly is, is love, um, but he's God, mm. right? A lot of people somehow... We, we talk about Jesus being the son of God, and somehow, I think in our minds, we separate the essence of who he is from God the Father. Mm. Yes, they're different persons. They're one in essence, right? So when Jesus bore the wrath of the Father towards sin on the cross, God was taking upon himself the punishment for sin. Mm. He was bearing his own wrath towards sin, right? Um, and so what you have is, is the New Testament tells us, Romans tells us that this this picture of Christ bearing the sins in his body on the tree made God, portrayed God, showed that God was just, Mm. right? And he was the justifier of those who would believe, Mm. right? So in the Old Testament, a lot of times we see God is just, God is just, God is just, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, he will punish sin. And in the New Testament, we kind of switch it and it's like God just sweeps sin under the rug and it's not really a big deal that's not the case it's both it's this and this Mm. God is both just and the justifier and you see both on the cross of Christ Mm. right sin will be punished he will not let the guilty go unpunished and yet he is long suffering and he is gracious and he is merciful and that punishment he took on himself Mm. to be the justifier so that's where I would point is, is, is Christ. That's, that's central. It's, he's just and justifier. That is so wonderful. Most people have a real problem with authority. They want us to be a preacher. They don't want us to be a pastor. They don't want us to be a leader. You know, they can, we can give direction here and there. They don't want someone to tell them what is right and what isn't right. Is this the same exact problem as Nebuchadnezzar? Is it a little different, a little both? I'll, I'll, say, I'll say it might be the same problem as Nebuchadnezzar. Um, because I think even, even believers, we are, we are not free from our fleshly desires. Mm. 
you know, so we, we still sin. And, and a lot of times when we say fleshly desires, we think of things that we would think of as like bold, outright, public kind of sins. But our, our pride and selfishness can come out in all kinds of ways that even seem very pious, very, very good, sometimes even righteous, mm. right? Like the Pharisees and, and this kind of thing. And um, so even doing the right thing for, with the wrong motives is actually maybe a building block that I'm trying to put onto my own kingdom mm. instead of actually promoting the kingdom of God. Um, so we, we, have to, we have to be careful with that. So I think that we all, always need to be a little suspicious and questioning our own motivation for things. Mm. Um, so when someone, you know, in the area of, you know, like you're saying, you know, God has placed authority um, not just in civil government, not in the home, but also in his church. Mm-hmm. And, and he's given that. He, he calls elders and pastors. He calls them overseers, right? That is, that is a pretty direct title um, to authority. Um, he tells us in Hebrews that we are to obey and submit to those that watch over our souls, that are held accountable by God for that. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, when talking about honoring elders, um, Paul uses the term those that rule well. Especially in America, we don't like the idea of anything, anyone ruling right. anything. Right. You know, like that doesn't that doesn't work, yeah. right? Um, and, and I think, particularly in America, our society is built upon an, a fundamental attitude of rebellion and individualism. Mm-hmm. That I get to do what I want. It's it's this idea of liberty, but it's not liberty to serve others. It's a liberty for me to serve myself. Right. That's what Americanism views as liberty. But that's not biblical liberty. Mm. Biblical liberty is I have the freedom to serve God and to serve others, mm. not just to accumulate things for myself and to serve self. That's, mm. that's, a, that's a different way. So when, when we're dealing with things in the church, I think that there are times that, you know, may, may, sometimes people just haven't been taught mm. well. They, they don't understand what the Bible actually says about it. And it's not that they desire to be unbiblical. Mm. It's just they haven't been taught that. And mm. so you know how it is. If, if you've been taught something for years and years and years, and then someone brings to you a different idea, that can be kind of hard to swallow. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, And it can be one of those things where you see it in Scripture, but you almost want to believe you're reading it wrong mm. because you're not used to that. Um, so that can be difficult. So it could be something like that. Um, other people, I, I think sometimes we, they know it's biblical, um, and frankly, they don't care. Yeah. And, and that can be the case, too, and it can become this, this belligerent, I won't follow anybody. And if you typically look at some of these people's lives like that, it's not just in church. Right. Right? It, it's not, it, it doesn't come out just in one area. Right. They're going to be the people that, in general, they have a hard time with authority. Yeah. Right? And ultimately, rebelling against authority, whether it's in the church, civil government, um, you know, anywhere, the job site, mm-hmm. right? It really is an attack upon God. Either you don't know what you're doing and you've not given me the authority that's good for me in my, my life, which particularly within the church, that's, that's the motivation of the writer mm-hmm. of Hebrews saying, obey and submit to your leaders because it's profitable for you. Mm. Like, this is for your own good, you know? And, and we've lost that entire concept, right. right? In America, we believe authority is bad. Right. Yeah. The Bible says authority is good for you. Right. Yeah. It's a blessing. Yeah. Now that, um, that particular issue, 
I haven't um, I haven't been on this side of it, but being you know uh, you know in ministry you know in different respects for a long time now, and I'm um, just being part of the congregation and, and serving in different ministries and Sunday schools and hearing the pastor say something like, well, we really ought to do things this way. And then as soon as the pastor leaves, hearing people say, you know, this, this actually did happen in a few churches I was in. Uh, no, no, no. We're not going to do a lot. We're not going to listen to him. I, I had a boss that I worked for a long time ago. He set up a Garmin in our truck, and then he'd ride around with me, and um, the Garmin would say, turn left. He'd be like, you're not going to go that way, are you? Well, yeah, that's we have the Garmin for well, no, it's easier to go this way every single turn this this robot suggested he says we're not going to go that way it's exactly the same way that I saw it happening at this church or these churches you know whatever the pastor said it just was not going to happen mm-hmm. so I guess the idea that I wanted to kind of pick your brain about a little bit and asking you this is we see in the church particularly authority as a problem with atheists or a problem with secularists a problem with people out on the street they're the ones with the problem with authority Sometimes maybe that message needs to be brought home a little bit too. Maybe we need to keep ourselves in check. Yeah, and and I would say this in in a on the political spectrum, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that both the right and left politically have equally major problems with authority, um, and that's that's the reality because it doesn't matter um, who the the position of authority makes no difference to anybody. What makes a difference is if I agree with that authority or not. Right. So ultimately, if that's the case, then who's the authority? Right. Me. Me. Yeah. I'm the authority, right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, if the president is saying this and he's not from my party or I disagree with them, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> right? Or, or, you know, this, this guy's an idiot. Yeah. You know, and, and we're not respecting the position that he's in. And I'm not saying you have to agree with everything just because, you Absolutely. know, the president said it or whatever. But... There is a respect commanded. There is an honoring commanded. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a submission commanded. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I think that we, we all enter every room believing that we are more intelligent than everybody else. <laughs> You're right. You know, I mean, when, when I enter a conversation or a debate, it is my natural fleshly inclination that goes, how am I going to convince people of the right side? Mm. Because clearly I have it, <laughs> right? That's, that's what we all do. Yeah. And uh, I think that we need to remember as Christians that our flesh is alive and well and the same authority problem that we may see out in the world with people that diabolically oppose us in some things, we need to turn the mirror on and go, but really where I need to be focusing on this is right in my own heart. Mm. I got to fix this. And, you know, and it, let's get down to the church issue. Because let's, let's bring it home. Um, in the church, there's probably people listening to this podcast that can probably think of very specific areas in which they disagree with their pastor. Mm-hmm. Right? And, they be- and they think, better not. Well, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I think, and, and I think that they need to remember what is the pastor's desire for the church? Does this pastor want to glorify God or to drag God's name through the mud? Mm-hmm. Does this, per, does this pastor desire his people to grow in Christ or to not grow in Christ, right? right. Then you back up and see the big picture. Remember, remember the mountain we're all climbing together, mm. right? And in this little decision or area that you may disagree with your pastor, it, it's the equivalent many times of saying, you know, I think the best path to get to the top of this mountain is over there, and, but pastor wants to go this way and he's wrong. Mm. And I'll say it this way. The pastor is like 
he's like the leader. He is the leader, right? And he's leading a sled team of dogs. He's the lead dog. He's a dog, just like everybody else. You know, he's right. no different. He's the lead dog. He's, he's the one God's chosen to, to, to lead the pack, if you will. And you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter which path is actually faster. At the end of the day, the whole pack's going to get to the top of that mountain a lot faster if you all pull together. Mm. And, and so sometimes we've got we to gotta go, you know what? He doesn't want unbiblical things. He, he doesn't want to you know, tear down the kingdom of God. He's about building the kingdom of God, and he's God's leader for this time, and if I was leader, maybe we would be on this other path, but I'm not, and so the best thing that I can do for my church to get to the top of that mountain is to submit myself to the leaders that he's given and be okay with pulling hard along the longer path, mm. you know? Because you know what? As, as you and I are pastors, sometimes we do pick the long path. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> we, get, we, get, we might get a few months into a direction and be like, Oops, uh, but we're here now, and so we're just we're going to keep on going, and we're going to learn and grow like the rest of the pack, you know, and hopefully we're all going to grow and learn together. That's so awesome. Well, I really appreciate this conversation, Pastor Mark, for sure. How can, uh, how can listeners find out more about you and the ministry of Calvary Baptist? If you want to find out more about our ministry, you can go to cbcathens.org, and uh, you will find all kinds of information there. We also have our Facebook uh, page uh, out on Facebook as well. That's awesome. Well, thank you again very much. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate being here.